Hello and welcome to the Good Growth Podcast. On today's episode, we're discussing leadership and innovation and in relation really to how this has been applied in motorsport in particular. Leadership in this case being leading a team to world championship titles and innovation within achieving this success within the only motorsport championship that uses solely electric cars, Formula E. Uh, So no one better to cover those topics with than with the team principal of the uh, back-to-back world champions, TS Cheetah, Mark Preston. Welcome to you, Mark. Hi there. Thank you for having me today. Uh, We'll get into your Formula One and Formula E experience as we go along. I want to start by just saying, asking really, so you've been involved in motor racing for pretty much all of your career, it seems. Uh, Where did that passion and interest for the sport come from initially um yeah my my grandfather was a uh, auto wrecker i'm not i think in the uk we call them salvage merchants um from the sort of 20s onwards 20s 30s 40s we grew up around farms around trucks and and other mechanical systems let's say i got involved in you know on the farms of getting old trucks working driving cars on the on the farm etc and when it came to deciding what I wanted to do in um, university, I was a bit of a car nut. I used to watch Bathurst 1000, which is the Australian race, a bit like Australia's Le Mans. Um, I used to um, read car magazines all the time, and this is all just based off the back of being around cars, tractors, those kind of things. So I got involved quite early on when I was at university. I did a fairly theoretical degree, and in the, I think it was the second year, I decided to start looking at how I could do something practical. And I got involved with one of the race car manufacturers down there called Ball and Racing, who makes and still makes a, a Formula Ford racing car called a Spectrum. So I got involved in Formula Fords um, during a, during my time at university. So you grew up in Australia. Did motor racing bring you to the UK? And, and what were you, uh, I guess, hoping to achieve from the move initially? What were, what were your ambitions? So we'd, uh, we were, had a successful campaign in '96 in Formula Fords with our our car and um, a mechanic with a journalist came and saw me one night at a race in Sydney and said, when do you turn 27? And I said, oh, uh, in in three months, I think it was. And they said, well, you know that if you want to go to England and and work in Formula One, you should go before you're 27 because there's a a, um, a program for people to go overseas and, and work. So Actually, within about a month, I decided I was going to England and I was coming for two weeks or two years. And more than 20 years later, I'm still here having probably, I came over and had about 10 job interviews with Formula One teams and ended up with Arrows Grand Prix, which had just been bought by the the owner of um, the company I worked for in Australia called Holden Special Vehicles. Uh, His name was Tom Walkinshaw and he bought uh, arrows over here and they had a job because um, I was a stress engineer and uh, which means working out how strong things are calculations part of the business and they had a a, um, a role for someone there and so yeah my two weeks were up and I, I got a job so I stayed and I was going to think about staying for two years but then lots of other things happened and um, yeah more than 20 years later here I am still doing motor racing <laughs> and you know this is the center of motor racing in the world I believe because you've got all the Formula One teams a number of Formula E teams you know all sorts of technology around around motorsports all based around this um, what they call the motorsport valley area I think it goes all the way from down near McLaren up to Northampton where Mercedes high performance engines are. 
So uh, you touched on there how you started cutting your teeth in Formula One, joining Arrows uh, in 96. And you also then went on to McLaren as well. At this stage, once you're with Arrows and McLaren, where you getting those ideas then to start forming your own team? Yeah, when I was in Australia, actually in my own racing team, it was called Spectrum, Spectrum Racing Cars. And we said so we came second in the championship just as I left to come to um, the UK. And I'd always wanted to start another team. And as I was finishing at um, McLaren, I went and did my MBA at Oxford. And that's when I really, I spent all my time on the MBA looking at Formula One and business models around Formula One and planning how we could start a Formula One team. And so actually, while I was doing the MBA, we had a plan, we had a number of people in place that we were talking to. And then along came the Guru Suzuki uh, with Honda, Bridgestone, Takuma Sato, and they needed to start a Formula One team in a hurry. And we had a plan and we knew who we'd hire and how we'd do it. And so we joined together and we formed Super Guri Formula One team with Honda. And that was one of the most crazy fun journeys you'll ever get to do. We started a Formula One team in a hundred days. That was, most people didn't think we could do it. I'm not sure that we even thought we could do it really properly at the time, but uh, we did. We worked every day and there was known to man between sort of October and the first race. I think it was in March in, in Bahrain. So that was a pretty exciting adventure and one that not many people get to experience, but certainly something I'm very glad I did. It is an incredible achievement that just getting on the grid within 100 days. Uh, how did you manage that? <laughs> um, like you say, you're working all hours of the sun, but practically that logistically, that's uh, it's some effort. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when I when I look back now with my uh, with my sort of MBA hat on and try to figure out what things did we learn because often people get me to do presentations at things like Formula Student. Um, talks to you know teach some of the young engineers about starting racing teams in in uh in university we we really broke everything down into very 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 tight sections and I, I will say that often when you you make a decision you think oh i can put that off another day i can put that off another day and it won't impact my final result however in motor racing the plane leaves without you the race happens without you so you can't, you have to make very pragmatic decisions. So every week we had decisions that we had to make that some people would say, oh my God, that's not a really great decision. But we said, no, no, on that day, we have to make a decision, right or wrong. We have to make a decision. If we don't, we won't get to the to the race. So there was some fairly crazy decisions we had to make along the way that some people would say were silly at the time, but <laughs> we didn't do them. We wouldn't have got there at, at the time. So it was very pragmatic. They call it time boxing where you sort of say, we break down the project into, into sections, but at the end of each little time box, that might be a week or it might be two weeks, you have to make a decision. At the end of that two weeks, it's too bad. You have to make a decision, whether it's for a, a, diff, a sort of a certain type of wing. I think we had to choose radiators one time, I remember. Um, we had to choose a new roll hoop because one had failed. We had to make decisions there and then and, and not wait. So it was quite an incredible experience, but, you know, it, almost taught you that almost anything's possible. Sometimes you, you know, you say anything's possible, time and money. We did sometimes have to spend more money than you would in order to get the job done. But we also realized that, you know, some nights we go home and think that we've got an impossible problem. I don't know how we're going to solve this. And then at 5am the next morning, you'd wake up thinking, I know what the answer is going to work. Everyone was already there. We figured out the problem. We moved on to the next one. And the next night you go home with the next impossible problem. 
and and um, come up with the answer. So sometimes you had to go home and just let your brain get out of it. And then in the morning, suddenly, oh, wait a minute, I think I know how we're going to do this. It's, it's, it's quite a cool process. That. I mean, I guess you're, that, that, that kind of time frame and knowing that you have to be you on the grid, Australian Grand Prix, first race of the season, the, the efficiency, I guess, in your decision-making is uh, streamlined so much. It's incredible, incredibly fast and, yeah, determined. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, that was your Formula One journey. You, you set up the Super Geary team and then you've moved on to Formula E and you've been a part of Formula E since its inception. And for those listeners who, who aren't as familiar perhaps with Formula E, it, it, as I was saying earlier, is the only motorsport championship or single seat motorsport championship that uses solely electric cars. It's essentially a more, is it fair to say, a more modern version of Formula One in terms of the, the use of electric cars. Tell me, how different is Formula E from Formula One and what makes it exciting in its own right? One of the one of the reasons I started to look, uh, sadly, we had to close down Super Aguri when the last financial crash happened and um, Honda pulled out of Formula One, so we had to close down the team. But um, I went and looked for what was the most relevant to the future. And I've got a sketch from... 2009 when we were working with David Hunt, James Hunt's brother, um, about new ideas for racing in the future. And we'd sketched uh, an electric race car and, and most people thought we were a bit nuts. Um, but, you know, the FIA had started looking at it as well. Uh, Alejandro, who, you know, won the project uh, to do the total Formula E um, ecosystem. That was, so we were starting to look at it. I helped a a spin-out company of Oxford University called Oxford Yasa Motors do a lot of their business planning and those things in 2008. So I got interested in electric vehicles, what was the future, what was the predictions. You know, when you think about it, that's 12 years ago, and that's a long time really, but that's how long ago we were looking at electric vehicles, electric motors, what was the future. Um, It took until 2014 to get to a point that we started Formula E, but even in those days, everybody thought we were crazy and now it seems no one sort of believes us anymore when we say people really did think we were crazy they really thought we were mad they thought i was mad enough starting a formula one team but starting a work starting a formula electric team same seemed even crazier because you know nobody was really interested in um electric cars at that time if you um watch top gear at the time if you remember they had built this crazy car that was electric that they drove around oxford at about five miles an hour and it was really, you know, terrible thing. But, you know, they were obviously taking a, having a joke there, taking the mickey. But that's what people thought about electric cars at that time. So if, when you think where we've got to since then, as I say, it's very hard to explain how crazy people thought we were. Um, they think we're a lot less crazy now because we've got quite a lot of car companies in the series. Um, it's gone from strength to strength. We won uh, the championship last year against great competition from Nissan and Mercedes. So, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty, uh, been a pretty exciting journey. And um, what I've enjoyed the most is that it's all about the future. I think that's really the, the main uh, element. And to answer your question about how does it differ from Formula One, I mean, Formula One is faster, but we do a lot of different things. For example, we um, race over one day. So the drivers have a lot more, um, a lot more pressure on them because they arrive in the morning. They only have one day to do um, practice, qualifying, race. Whereas in a in a more traditional race series, you would build up to it from the Friday through Saturday to the Sunday. So there's a lot of different differences there. We race in city centres, so we've got tight, twisty tracks downtowns. 
So there's a there's a lot of differences, um, a lot of exciting differences, and a lot of ways of differentiating from Formula One. But as you know, Formula One is looking to the future as well. The way we store energy is with batteries, and that's how we transfer or carry energy. A Formula One car carries energy in in petrol. But there's a future is coming where it looks like there might be things like e-fuels, which are synthetic fuels, which come from hydrogen and other sources. So there's all sorts of exciting things coming up in in all uh, realms of racing, actually. So as you mentioned, the idea of racing electric cars was seen as a little bit crazy a few years ago. Uh, the sport is quickly expanding in terms of the number of teams, the number of races, the, the, the kind of reach that you're getting. Uh, within the sport how how is it now doing that is is it how much of it do you think is natural just in terms of uh, the world becoming more accustomed to electric vehicles but also what do you think the sport is doing to in- increase that reach and interest well i think um you know they say that a rising tide floats all boats so timing is everything so starting formula e just at the right time when the world is taking a much closer look at sustainability obviously because of COVID, um, that's been quite difficult. However, it has shown things like clean air. You know, you know, many cities in the world that have never seen the sky really clearly now see the sky clearly because of the reduction in transportation. So there's there's all these factors that are happening alongside Formula E that are really making it interesting to a wider audience. You might have seen recently that we are now the first sport that's been accredited as net zero since its inception. And that's because of all of the projects that have been happening along the way to offset our carbon footprint. But the world is changing as well. So we are changing with the world. Um, There's the obvious promotion. We're backed by DS Automobiles. Their range is going electrified. So I drive now a DS3 electric. So as I drive cars, I tell more people about it. You know, it's just this cumulative effect that's going on. Um, The more people that see other people driving electric cars, We've now got you know eight other car manufacturers that are competing against us, so they're also promoting their vehicles around the, around the world. Rules are changing, as I say, the, the rising tide floats all boats. So the, you can sometimes tell you're in the right place when all the winds, you know, the winds at your tail, all of those old mm. sayings that that mean <laughs> you know it's better to be the the wind behind your back. All, all of those those descriptions um, are true. So we're in the right place, right time. All those all those elements plus. It's an exciting sport to watch. We've got some of the most competitive drivers on uh, in motorsports that I've ever seen. Lots of great competitors, I say, like um, Mercedes, Nissan, Porsche, BMW. Lots of great competitors. So um, it's an exciting place to be, and that's you know that's always the best place. Uh, let's talk about then your your team, DS Tikjita, and uh, you're saying that the oh, I was saying earlier that the team has won the last two team world championships, and a driver from your team's also won the last. Uh, three drivers championships i believe um in your view then how do you go about building a team that are going to become world champions what are you looking for in terms of not just the drivers but mechanics engineers the whole team i suppose you know after winning uh, winning all these races you may have seen that we won um quite a lot of races in berlin where we had to do all the last final races of this this last season i think i mean it's a really it's a big team effort we've got the best drivers i think we've got the best powertrain We've got the best engineers. We've got the best people in the background, commercial, admin. You have to have every element of a team working because if someone doesn't pay the bills, then you know you can't do something. Uh, if the drivers don't drive fast, you can't um, you can't uh, can't win. If they don't give good feedback, then the engineers uh, may have difficulty making them go faster. So you need to have all aspects. I think it's important to understand what 
people's strengths and weaknesses are. So I know sometimes I'm not the best person on detail, but I've got people in my team that are really good at detail. Um, the same would be true of, you know, the, the drivers, they could probably see some areas where they're um, slightly weak in, in maybe say development, but we've got a great development driver in, in James Rossiter. So Jeff can do amazing qualifying laps, so can Antonio. Um, so that everybody has their strengths and, and weaknesses and put all those things together and you create a, an amazing team. Uh, and for you, what are, what are your biggest challenges of, of being team principal? Um, I suppose now from where I started when I you know first started motor racing, I was much more of a, a specialist. But over the years, so I did stress analysis, which is working out how strong the cars are, as I said. I'm really into data and calculations, but I don't do that um, day to day anymore. I might ask the engineers some questions just to understand what we might need to, to buy or what partnerships we might need to have with other companies. Um, my job is to try and, you know, grow the team, grow its partnerships. So get great partners like DS Automobiles. I work very closely with them on the future. Uh, partners like Airforsec, who does charging systems, uh, Male, who does immobility powertrains and, and other aspects of cooling and other things related to powertrains. Building a, you know, a, a group of partners around us is a really um, one, of, one of my biggest um, jobs now. And then just helping everybody with the things that I've had experience of before. So I've been in motor racing for sort of 30 years or something like that. So I've made lots of mistakes along the way and it's probably easier if people are willing to listen to say, look, I've done that before. It's always terrible when you say, when I was there, I did this thing, but maybe it's uh, sometimes it's beneficial when you say, I, I had this problem before and this seemed to be the quick answer. So we've got a lot of experience on the team, but we've also got a lot of um, young uh, engineers and, and others that are quite um, innovative. So having innovative people and encouraging them to be innovative and taking a level of risk when we can, and maybe less risk when we can't, but um, having a nice balance of risk and reward, um, having uh, good people in every area, and everybody are hopefully understanding each other's strengths and weaknesses. Thanks. I mean, that's a really good insight into the different mechanisms that you've uh, got to balance, I guess, within the team as well. Uh, looking ahead, what are your hopes then for the sport going forward as it grows and, and, and your own personal ambitions? What, what else do you hope to achieve in the sport now that you are, uh, are world champions? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we have to keep trying to go and win, obviously. Uh, the, everybody's working really hard in the background to deliver more performance and, and more wins in the future. Um, DS is bringing out a new powertrain in the next season, um, in the, the fifth race, um, as we move on uh, through the season. So we're bringing new performance. I'm just fascinated with the future. I'm just always interested in what is the next thing. I'm driving my electric vehicle around now, trying to understand the, the similarities between how the drivers drive them on the racetrack and how I can drive them on the road. Just understanding, you know, how electric vehicles work better and better all the time. I think there's some new exciting things coming up in the areas of energy like hydrogen and the new hydrogen economy. That one interests me. I'm not sure how that'll interface with Formula E at the moment, potentially through, you know, the ways we charge vehicles at the track, moving more hydrogen, other other energy sources um, into the supply chain so that it's easier to, to charge where we would travel around the world. Um, yeah, and just generally looking at the future of technology, it's it's always really interesting. I have another company called Street Drone, which is in autonomous vehicles, and that's exciting as well because you know AI is fascinating and how it can be applied to race cars is another you know step in the future. Mark, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's a real uh, whistle stop tour, but a fascinating insight into your career in uh, F1 and, and now FE. Thank you very much for joining me. No problem. Thank you. Thank you.